What's good, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Amatelaki TIS podcast here on this final weekend heading into the. It's weird because you got. It's technically the final weekend of the month of April and also the first weekend of the month of May, with the first of the month being on a Sunday, May the 1st. If you're Mike and the OC bouncing around uh, Orange County, California, it's still the month of April, but if you're on the East Coast, uh, it is uh, May the 1st, the first uh, day or so, first Sunday of the month of May, the year 2022. Lots to do, lots to talk about here on this weekend program. Recap the Grizzlies and T-Wolves game six to close out the first round of the NBA playoffs that took place on that took place on Friday night. Uh, and I'll just that at the top because that was the only game of that was the only NBA playoff game that took place with no game sevens uh, on Friday and no game sevens in the first round period. But I'll but I will address that game. I'll address that game first and then take a break and then uh, get to the NBA playoffs. Uh, get to the NBA playoffs as a whole. Uh, as a whole, as we look ahead to the second round, uh, but the Memphis Grizzlies—I don't know how in the world they do it—but they get, they got, they get off the deck every single time. At least, uh, at least in this. Uh, well, no, I'd say they get off the deck every single time, and they just don't. They, they just don't die. They don't quit. They don't give up, and they play John Morant included, and they play with the heart with the heart of a champion. Uh, whether you go whether you go back early in this series and they and they overcame not one but two twenty point deficits against uh, against against Minnesota a few weeks ago, uh, you go back to uh, you know you go back to the game last Tuesday night when they beat on 111-109. John Morant had the nice dunk. They turned it on in the fourth quarter, and John Morant had the fourth quarter of his life uh, to be, to knock off the Timberwolves at the, in the final game of the series in Memphis uh, earlier in the week. But they have just done an, they did an absolutely sensational job, and I'll get to the Timberwolves in a minute uh, because I, I'm, part of me is glad that they lost. I'll get to them in a minute. But but a tremendous job by the Grizzlies getting off the deck multiple times in the series. The two the two twenty point deficits the uh, the two twenty point deficits against the, and then of course uh, the uh, the in game five in in Memphis and then of course game six on uh, on uh, fr- on Friday night. Uh, John Moran, who did not have an excellent, who was who was not good in the game by any circumstances from for a full for a full forty eight minutes, but uh, the but the times that he was on, he was on. Uh, had four four fourteen seventeen points had an had an excellent 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 possession. Did an excellent job of get of uh, of allowing the uh, the Timberwolves defense to key in on him. Bring about the double team, and he passed when he. Uh, I'm trying to pull up and see what pass. Or excuse me, what uh, what uh, what basket that was on on my play by play sheet. But he did an excellent job when he forced um when uh 
when Ty then when Tyus Jones made that twenty six uh, foot three pointer to make it one oh six excuse me one oh two uh, Memphis did an excellent job keying in the defenders allow uh, drawing the attention of Minneapolis defenders to John Moran he was acting like he was going to try to cross up and drive inside the basket and there's Tyus Jones at the top of the key sitting in three point range wide open three Moran passes it to him and and he ends up making the three to put the to put the Grizzlies out to put the uh, to put the Grizzlies out in front by uh, by four points after uh, Jaden Daniels made a twenty five uh, foot three pointer himself the possession earlier to bring uh, the Timberwolves within a point. But you know e- even th- stuff like that when the when the um, when Moran doesn't have a great game as far as when you look at his stat sheet and we look at the box score and no triple doubles and no 30 plus 40 plus point performances stuff like that you know pays dividends and winning playoff basketball games especially game sixes and game sevens on the road in 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 first round play and first round playoff closeout games he just did an absolutely the IQ of him is just absolutely off the charts he also uh he also did a nice job making his two free throws to extend the Grizzlies lead to extend the Grizzlies lead up to 6 at 110-104 with 20 20.7 seconds left in regulation again not a good game on the stat sheet but he made his free throws when he got to the line late and of course he did an excellent job uh, setting up Jones to make that clutch three late in the fourth, late in the fourth quarter, and he got and Moran got to the line a second time. Uh, this time, when uh, the Grizzlies were up one twelve, one oh six, up six points, two possession game, an opportunity to put the game away. He sinks his two free throws to put he six he sinks excuse me his two free throws to put the game out of reach. Uh, but going back to the Grizzlies, they won. Three games in this series. They won. They won three games in this series. In game three, they were down eighty three sixty seven with eleven forty two in the fourth quarter. Came back and won it in game three. Tied two two in game five. Of course, that back back in Memphis uh, earlier this week. With of course, yeah, Moran had the crazy dunk and then the layup to uh, and then the layup to to put Memphis out in front. And that was following after Anthony Edwards' clutch three pointer that he had made late in the fourth quarter. They were down. They were down ninety two seventy nine with nine thirty. Seven to go in the fourth quarter in game five earlier this week. Came back and won it. Down 10 points, 84-74 with 11.36 to go in the fourth quarter. Came back and won that game as well. They uh, overcame two 20-point deficits in game three. And they overcame a 92-79 deficit in game five and a 10-point deficit in game six. The Grizzlies, the first team. In NBA history, to win three games in which they trailed by double digits entering the fourth quarter in a single postseason. And they did it all in one series. Record-breaking. First team to do so, to win three games, having having to overcome double-digit deficits heading into the fourth quarter. I mean, if that doesn't uh, prove to you uh, the phenomenal, the phenomenal uh, job of uh, John Morant, and the phenomenal coaching job that that staff in Memphis has done. I mean, I, I, I honestly have no idea what to tell you because it takes a lot of mental toughness, 
and a lot of fortitude. Give Taylor Jenkins, the head coach, all the credit in the world. I mean, he and what what he's done with that team, not just in this series, but all season long. I mean, Memphis is two seed, ladies and gentlemen. They're the two seed in the West. And they and for them to get off the deck two two twenty point deficits in game three and in three games, two of them back to back and back to back games. For them to get off, for them to 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 pick themselves off, pick themselves up and brush off their shoulders and overcome double digit deficits the way that they did, and John Morant taking taking on that leadership role, and and knowing that you know he can't play here all the time, taking nine million threes or putting the ball in the basket, you know, drawing the defender's attention when the ball is in your hands to set up open shots to set up your others to take those to get those nice good open looks like we saw Tyrus Jones. Uh, late Friday night, you know that goes that goes into being a not, not just a great not just a great not just a great guard and a great point guard in the NBA, but a great basketball player in general, especially in playoff time. And he was just he was absolutely sensational in this series, absolutely sensational. We can go back and uh, if you wish, and before I get to Timberwolves and take a break and then get on. To uh, and get on to some other uh, playoff series. He in this he in this series uh, he in this series averaged twenty one point average the twenty one points in this. I gotta make sure I got my uh, I'm uh, I'm accurate here. Uh, I don't want regular season guys. I want postseason. Uh, thank you. Okay. So in this in this series he shot thirty eight percent from the field. Uh, he, in this series, he shot thirty-eight percent of the f- from the field. Uh, no, do I have that right? Yeah, thirty-eight percent from the field, averaging uh, averaging twenty-one and a half points in this series. Twenty-one and a half points in this series, ten and a half assists, nearly nine rebounds. You'd like him to shoot the ball a little bit better. Thirty-eight percent from the field and twenty percent from three. Not great. Uh, and, and he's got to be on his game offensively tremendously. If Memphis wants any shot at taking at uh, at taking down uh, at taking down Golden State, but if they're on their A game, they they could upset them. I don't expect them to, but if they're on their A game, they're as good as any team in basketball. But they're going to have to be going up against Golden State. But Morant sensational in this series from just on the on the sheer intangibles and the fact that he has his moments where he comes off playing like an playing like an playing like a veteran uh and then of course the uh, the coaching job by the with the Grizzlies and uh, and that team aligned to get all, to get while when they're down for the count and Timberwolves had them on the ropes twice in one game three times in this series and two out of the three in back-to-back games and for them to like it's nothing. Use the Muhammad Ali good old rope a dope strategy, and then come back in the fourth quarter and punch the Timberwolves in the mouth the way that they had, the way that they did in those three games. Absolutely sensational. Clark off the bench scored seventeen points, five of nine from the field. Uh, the Bain, their their two guard, nineteen of fifteen, shot five of nine from from three, was sensational. Twenty three points on the night for him. Brooks, their small forward. Uh, 23 points as well. A steal, a steal. Nine and 19 from the field. And Jackson Jr., their power forward, collected a steal in two blocks. As for the Timberwolves side, I mean, it is a, first of all, it serves the Timberwolves right. 
and uh, and I and it's still it's still on on a uh, on a good element bothers me because it, it you know it serves the Timberwolves right the way that they carried on and acted a fool and just in my estimation embarrassed themselves in front of America act you know the old uh, ch- the old uh, Chuck No line act like that you've been act like that you've been there before. And for the way that the Timberwolves carried on and acted like com- and acted like complete school children, uh, winning a stupid uh, playing game against the against the the the, the Kawhi Leonardless Los Angeles Clippers with Patrick Beverly snot dripping from his nose and and and, and crying his eyeballs out like he won an NBA championship and Carl Anthony Towns having his uh, notebook scene with. With Jordan Woods at midcourt, I mean, my goodness gracious, guys! I mean, can can we can we come on? I mean, seriously, you know, for a play a playing game against against the Los Angeles Clippers, I mean, come on, guys! And and for them to carry on the way that they did, making such a big deal of winning some stupid playing game, to not to advance to a, not winning a playoff series, not win, not not like in baseball where winning a wild card game counts as winning as a series. No, 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 no. That was a that was a de facto game 83 to make the playoffs. And you would have thought that the Timberwolves won the whole won the whole freaking NBA championship. So I've been down on them since that moment uh as along uh, along with some many other things. Just, I mean, you, you, I, I couldn't root for him whatsoever. Uh, you know, the Carl Anthony Towns after the, his after he he and his team embarrassed themselves, blowing those leads, uh, blowing those leads two weeks ago has to had had the audacity and the husband sit up here and say, well, you know, next with pull the next question guard and talk about drink some wine, forget this, forget that, and all that nonsense and foolishness. I mean, shut up, girl. Now give him credit. He he and that t- he and um he and uh. His uh, Timberwolves squad did a sensational job of uh, of bouncing back of bouncing back the following the following game, but still, I mean, come on, that's not the way you handle when your team absolutely wet the bed and embarrassed themselves in a, in a blowing two twenty plus point leads, and you couldn't make a shot and you couldn't make a shot off a boat into the Atlantic Ocean. That, that's not that's not the way you handle it. And then you know, and Patrick Beverly's tough to root for anyway. Comes across it as 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 just such a pain in the ass. So I so I had no issues rooting against Toronto or Toronto rooting against the Timberwolves in this series whatsoever. So in my honest opinion, it serves them right. I mean, you collapsed in Game Three, and you blew not one but two ten point leads in back to back games. You had an opportunity to take the series lead, tie two games apiece, and you had an opportunity to force a game seven. Granted, had to, granted it wasn't going to be in your building, but you had an opportunity to force a game seven, and prior to that, to take the to take a three-two series lead, and you did, and, and, and you and you pissed it down your leg on two occasions. Back to back, double-digit leads heading into the fourth quarter, and 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 you and you. And you essentially press the garbage disposal on it twice. Carl Anthony Towns taking stupid jump shots when he's seven foot tall. It's got a huge uh, height, height and uh, height and weight advantage over the over the players that Memphis has out there on the court. And he's in up here taking shooting jump shots. I mean, seriously. 
Seriously. That is a loss that if you're if you're the Timberwolves, I understand first time making the playoffs in quite some time, this, that, and the other. The way that you played in this series was inexcusable. And quite frankly, downright embarrassing. How many fourth quarter double digit leads can you blow in one freaking series? How many? Coach the coach did know his ass from his elbow, you know, during they when Memphis went on that twenty one to nothing run in game three, didn't even bother to call a timeout. Just at uh, just atrocious coaching. Atrocious coaching and atrocious play from the Timberwolves in this series as a whole in general. Atrocious all the way around. Can't defend it. Carl Anthony Towns got to play better. Cannot defend it under any, any circumstances. But the Grizzlies move on. T-Wolves go home. Give Memphis tremendous credit for not giving up. And as for the Timberwolves, beyond, beyond embarrassing. And this serves them right. Carrying on again like they had won the NBA Finals. I mean, where's where's the confetti? Where's the confetti? Where's, where, and where's Luther Vandross's one shining moment? All that to embarrass yourself in front of America. And I got Carl Anthony Towns blowing kisses to the crowd after the game. Really? 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 Just getting started. The Amatelakatiyas podcast will continue. Welcome back to the I'm Tucky T.I. Is podcast. As we recap the first round of the NBA playoffs and kind of look ahead to the second round, um, I'll just, uh, well, let me, let me do this. Let me address the two games quickly from Thursday night because those are, or from the uh, third, um, the games from Thursday night, then look ahead to the second round uh, that begins on Sunday afternoon with the Bucks and the uh, Boston Celtics. Uh, the 
76ers beat the living hell out of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, I was I was rooting for Toronto because I wanted chaos. I wanted a game seven. I wanted to be able to yell and scream about uh, Doc Rivers not showing about Doc Rivers once again, you know, blowing playoff series leads left and right. I wanted to scream and yell about James Harden not being able to show up in a big in a big time playoff game again. And uh, I didn't get that for now. Partly, I believe, because uh, you know, no Fred Van Fleet, so the so the Toronto Raptors were only going to so the Toronto Raptors were only going to do but so much. But uh, you know, give James Harden tremendous credit. Give him tremendous now, and and he arguably next to Chris Paul has the most pressure uh, heading into the second round, and has had the most pressure throughout these throughout the first through the first round of these NBA playoffs uh but get, get he played well he only took 12 shots made 7 of them so his uh, f- shooting percentage was was very good he only took 12 shots made a uh, 7 of them so he made more than half of his field goal attempts and uh, despite the small uh, shot the small uh, shot sele- uh, selection he scored 22 points perfect from the free throw line 6 rebounds 15 assists, he did a tremendous job facilitating the basketball, helping uh, Tobias Harris walk away with 19, 7 to 15 from the field. He was, uh, Green uh, Green was four, took seven threes, made four of them. Those are the only field goal attempts he made. He walked away with 12 and uh, helped Joel Embiid, who was 12 of 18 from the field with a bad thumb, 10 rebounds and 33 points. He had two steals, one assist. 10 rebounds and three blocks on the night. Joel Embiid also had Joel Embiid had a bigger game, but for James Harden, whose playoff successes has been a story of his career and has been a theme, give him a tremendous amount of credit. You know, in a game that the in a game that the 76ers had to have because there was no way in hell. I know the game would have been in their building, but there was no. But if it would have been to a a game seven Raptors and 76ers, I it wouldn't have been. I wouldn't. I me personally, Jai Shields wouldn't have given the 76ers a chance in hell to win game seven against the Raptors in their building. But they didn't have to worry about that thanks to James Harden showing up to the occasion and not allowing Joel Embiid to essentially win the game by by, by himself. Uh, and the Raptors, of course, mid-Fred, missed Fred Van Fleet, who had been out in a couple of games uh, dealing with the hip injury as the Toronto Raptors season comes to an end. Philadelphia moves on to the second round to play the Miami Heat. As for the Phoenix Suns and the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, give uh, how about Chris Paul? I mean, and Chris Paul, I do not, and it still hasn't changed now. But again, you got to give him credit where credit is due. You got to sing his praise and give him his flowers when he deserves it. Uh, Chris Paul, what could you say? Thirty-six minutes of basketball, took fourteen shots, made fourteen shots. That's not a misspeak. That's not a. Uh, that's not a, uh, you know, my recording being scrambled. That is accurate. Chris Paul took 14 shots, made all 14 shots. And it's funny, I was watching and I wasn't a lot. Now, the game I'm referencing, I, you know, it happened, uh, you know, 10 years before I was born. But the game that I thought of 
when I, when I was watching Chris Paul and noticed that he that he didn't miss that he that he uh, made every shot that he took, I thought about the Leitner game against Kentucky where he had where he was perfect from the field and had that classic game winning step back two, and I believe I think it was the Elite Eight, wasn't it? The Elite Eight back in the '92 NCAA tournament against Kentucky. I thought about that with uh, with Chris Paul and his performance. Only took one three and he made it. 14 of 14 uh, from two-point range, 14 of 14 altogether, perfect from the free throw line, perfect from the field, took one shot from three, made the one shot from three, five rebounds, eight assists, a steal, 33 points. Sensational job by Chris Paul. Give him all the and I and I got on him for not being able to rise up to the occasion in game. I believe yeah, game four, the last game that they had lost in game four on Sunday night. He showed up last Sunday night. He showed up on Thursday night. Thirty three points, perfect from the field, perfect from the free throw line. Five rebounds, eight assists, one steal. 33 points. Aiden did a nice job too, helping the others did a sensational job for uh, for Phoenix. Aiden, 10 of 12 from the field, collected seven boards, four assists, a steal, 22 points for DeAndre Aiden. And uh, and those who really did with uh, with uh, Michael Bridges, you know, picking up the slack as well, uh, finding his spot seven to twelve from the field and eighteen points, did a nice job picking up the slack from Devin Booker, who I thought he was going to be out for quite some time, like he was uh, he was activated for the game, was raring to go, ready to go. Uh, and was ready to close out uh, New Orleans and move on to the next round to play uh, to play Dallas. Only played f- only played 32 minutes worth. Was five of 12 from the field. One of six from three. Only 13 points uh, scored. But Aiton, Paul, and Bridges did a did a nice job picking up the slack as well as Cam Johnson coming off the bench. Was four of seven from the field. Two of three from three and scored 13 points. So they, so the others and Chris Paul led the charge. Did a sensational job for Phoenix as they win their series and move on to round number two. Should is the Suns have a little bit of a time off, and uh, will allow a Devin Booker if he if he came back too soon just to for the Suns to win the series, or if he reaggravated or just that hamstring is tired. Or slash, you know, out of rhythm because he hasn't played in the, he hasn't played prior to Thursday night. He hadn't played in a week. Uh, game one in their series, uh, game one of their series against Dallas doesn't start until Monday. So they got all. So they had all of Friday, all of Saturday, all of Sunday in game one. T- Ten o'clock at night on a Monday night is is rough, tough to take. But uh, you know, I'll be there. I'll try to be there front and center. Um, uh, I'll try to be there front and center for as much of the game as I possibly can, uh, you know, my eyes will allow me to see, uh, but game one of that series against Dallas home game tips off Monday night at 10 o'clock game one, excuse me, Phoenix's favorite minus five and a half points. And that's for the New Orleans Pelicans. Hell of a season finished 10 games below 500 somehow got it won two uh, playing games to get the eighth seed they won two games against the best uh, that team that had the best record the best record in the NBA not just in the West Coast but in the NBA of the Phoenix Suns 
so that so they should be commended. They you know they were one win away from forcing a game seven against an NBA against a top tier top level NBA Finals contender. Uh, again, m- m- number one seed in the Western Conference and best record in the NBA this season. And they were one win away from forcing a game seven, and they and they won two games from them. I mean that is that is pretty damn good from a Pelican standpoint. And listen, they get Zion back with Brandon Ingram and uh, and the job he did in this series and Valashunas and how sensational he he was in this series and CJ McCollum who you know that 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 who's a, who's a good solid player in his own right. Zion comes back and comes back healthy and in shape. Pelicans going to be a very damn good team coming out of the Western Conference the next season. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and finally, Denfis, uh, Denfis, uh, <laughs> Dallas taking on Utah. Utah winning game six, 98-96. Luka Doncic, I mean, sensational job by him. Mavericks win their first ever playoff series since they won the 2011 NBA Finals. Luka Doncic wins his first ever playoff series uh, in the NBA. 24 points, uh, shot 40% from three, two blocks, two steals, eight assists, nine boards. Finley, uh, Finley Smith did a nice job, 18 points on the night. Uh, shot, uh, shot less than, slightly under 50% from the, from, uh, from the field. Four of nine from three, uh, five assists, 10 rebounds on the night for him as well. Uh, and how about Brunson, who did a nice job and did an excellent job stepping up in replacement of Luca during Luca's absence early on in the series? Nine of 17, 24 points, three rebounds, two assists, two steals. He had an excellent series in this game. He, along with Luca coming back in 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 uh, in games four, five, and six. The the reason why the Mavericks were able to get through games one through three was because of Brunson, who did a tremendous job picking up the slack in in uh, in Luca's absence. Sensational job, sensational job. As for the Utah Jazz, you know, if now if not now, when number one seed in Western Conference last year got bounced. I mean, Valish, uh, not Valashunas. Bogdanovich is not going to get a better open shot, not going to get a better look than he got with an opportunity to go out in front uh, with the with the wide open three. He had I mean again, you cannot under any, you can't get a better look than that. And for whatever the reason, you know, he 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 missed it off the backboard in the side in the side of the rim. Uh, and uh, and Mike Conley's travel also was very costly during the final few seconds of that game. You just cannot happen. Get under the basket like that. Allow yourself to get swarmed by Mavericks defenders and be in a position where you're forced to pivot 90 million times and it turns into a travel and you and you lose a possession after you had already gotten uh, Dallas to mi- gotten Dallas to miss at the free throw line the possession prior. But if not now, when for the Utah Jazz and Quinn Snyder? If not now, when? Western Conference is by far the most competitive, roughest conference in in the NBA, and they fall flat on their faces in the playoffs every single year. And why did Donovan Mitchell go to final five minutes in the fourth quarter without without attempting a jump shot? 
Can somebody explain that to me, please? Donovan Mitchell, Spider Mitchell, best player on the team, you know, in a conversation, NBA superstars, this, that, and the other. Goes the final five minutes of a game six, an elimination game, in the first round in, in his building, and he doesn't take a jump shot. That's unacceptable. Completely, completely unacceptable. And Bogdanovich won't sleep until won't won't sleep until October. Missing missing that shot. Awful. But as we set the stage for the second round of the NBA playoffs, you got Milwaukee taking on Boston in one matchup in the East, as well as the 76ers taking on the Heat in the uh, taking on the uh, taking on the Heat in the uh, Taking on the Heat in the other Eastern Conference matchup, you got an issue with Joel Embiid, issue with his eye, and uh, he's got a concussion. He is out indefinitely, so and at the bare minimum, he will be out game- the first couple of games of this series. So it's do or die on with James Harden. I gave him his flowers earlier in the segment. I, you know, he got to come back around it and, and and give him the harsh criticism. The way he performed in uh, in Game Six. He's got to perform that way and better and take more than 12, 14 jump shots if he expects to win. It's his time to shine. Didn't, didn't rise to the occasion with, uh, with, with, with the Rockets. Wanted, you know, he was hurt last year, so he gave him a pass, but wanted out of Brooklyn. Now here's his opportunity. Here's his chance. Embiid is down. Next man up mentality. What are you going to do to take Embiid's place and to compensate and, and and can and can you by yourself along with your others will your way to victory early on in this series because of it because if you get yourself in a two nothing three nothing hole you might you might as well pack up your you might as well pack up your stuff and say see in September if you're if you're hardening the seventy sixes two nothing three nothing series lead you might you might as well say good night tell uh. Tell uh, Ernie and the fellas to get the gone fishing uh, Photoshop uh, thing ready for for their for their segment in, for on Inside the NBA in, in about two and a half weeks. So, but James Harden's got to show up. It's imperative that James Harden shows up. If he doesn't show up and and put together absolute masterpieces, especially in games one and two, the Celtic or excuse me, the seventy sixes are finished. Finished. They gotta show up, cause Jimmy Butler, Hero, Lowry, they're gonna show up and play. They're a feisty bunch, an experienced bunch, a well-coached team by the name of Eric Spoelstra, and they're a couple se- a few se- a couple a few seasons removed from being the Eastern Conference champions of the NBA and playing in the NBA Finals. Philadelphia's trying to get there. Trying to get there. Also, did I not call that going back to Phoenix Suns real quickly as I as I di- quickly digress for a couple of minutes? Did I not say that it was imperative for uh, for um, for uh, the Suns to win Game Five? Did I did I not say that that their that their fate of 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 winning the series and their playoff fate? Uh, and their chances of win of winning the series absolutely dependent on how much uh, 
how much um how much uh, the uh, or how excuse me how well the Suns played in Game Five and them winning it. I said that right. Told you guys, it was imperative that they won Game Five because they didn't win Game Five, and I didn't ex- and to and I didn't even expect Devin Booker to be to be back for Game Six, but it was imperative that they had to win Game Five. They won Game Five, and look what happened. They end up winning the series. But anyway, I move, uh, I digress and move back to the Eastern Conference. The other Eastern Conference series between the Bucks and the Celtics, uh, that is going to be both teams dead even, regular season record-wise, 51-31 Milwaukee took care of business against the Bulls, beating them in five. Boston's uh, with a clean sweep in the Nets in four games. That is going to be a very, very good, hopefully intriguing, interesting, and long series. I anticipated that for the uh, for the um, for the Brooklyn Celtics series. We didn't get it. Um, maybe we'll get it uh, in game. Maybe we'll get it in this second round series. I don't anticipate us getting a, a seven game series because of the fact that the uh, that the uh, that the that the Bucks, excuse me, will not have Chris Middleton at all at any point in time in this series, which will hurt them tremendously because he does an excellent job playing off of Giannis, picking up the slack at, in areas and, and in games where Giannis doesn't always have his A game offensively. He does a sensational job being uh, being the Robin to Giannis's Batman. And not having him will hurt them tremendously. Um, and my honest opinion heading into this series is that the Bucks have the best player in the have the best player in the in the league in the sport right now in 2022. Giannis Antetokounmpo, but the Celtics have a better team. Have a better team, but Giannis is the better player. And in best of seven playoff series, not 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 a not a regu- not a one one you know isolated regular season game in the middle of January. Is that the best teams are most of the time, if not all the time, better than having the best player? Nets had better, had the best player in the grand scheme of things, of you'd rather have, historically, rather have Kevin Durant than Jason Tatum. But the Celtics had the better team and had the better coach. The Bucks have the best player in this series and the best player in the sport in Giannis as of right now. But the Celtics have the better team. Excellent defensively. Well coached. Rebound. Forced turnovers. Hohen Chilada. And I think because they're the best team, the most rounded team, and they've been clicking on all cylinders since January, I think the Celtics are going to win this series. I predicted it with my bracket, by the way. My bracket got that right. Uh, I had it. Uh, I had it. Boston versus Milwaukee in the second round, and I predicted Boston winning seven. That, of course, I, that of course at the time when I made that was with a healthy Chris Middleton. No Chris Middleton, I think, instead of a seven-game series, it'll be a six-game series. 
And as far as the Miami 76ers series go, I predict the Miami to win, anticipating they went up against Toronto. I still think they'll win. No Joel Embiid. He already had a bad thumb. And now with the, with the head injury, the, the Celtics the Celtics better hit their knees and, and pray for a uh, and pray for a miracle. Because uh, if they ain't healthy, they're not beating the Heat. This is this is all there is to it. And then to the Western Conference with the with with uh, with Memphis and Golden State first, and then I'll get to Dallas versus uh, Dallas versus Phoenix. Golden State is going to be on their A game. The problem is, will the Memphis Grizzlies be on their A game? The Golden State Warriors are a much better team. They're a much more well-coached team and a much more disciplined team. And more importantly, especially when it comes to when it comes to the playoffs, a much more experienced team than the Minnesota, than the Minnesota Timberwolves are. So, in instances where the Grizzlies found themselves in holes against against uh, Minneapolis against uh, excuse me Minnesota, that will not happen. Again, and then them, you know, getting themselves in, in, in deep holes, only for them to climb themselves out of it three times in the, in the in the same series and two times in one game, that's not going to happen with Golden State. They're coached better than that. They're a better team than that. They got better players, a better roster, and again, experience. Yeah, I understand Jordan Poole, you know, first-timer. I get that. But the but the core is still there from the twenty fifteen it's from the twenty fifteen team. They they've got they got Iguodala back, and of course who's the twenty fifteen Finals MVP, and of course Steph, Clay, Draymond. Three out of their starting five is still remaining is still playing on the team still there st- still a part of their starting lineup, and when they when that twenty fifteen championship was what seven years ago. They stay still. Player, the players have come and gone. Of course, Kevin Rand obviously is on the team anymore. But the meat, potatoes, and the and the true core of those Warriors championship teams from the mid from the mid two thousand tens is still there. And I think in a playoff series going up against a young team like Memphis, a, a young and inexperienced team uh, like Memphis, I think that matters. And I think because Golden State is more experienced and they're going to be on their A game, and I don't, unlike they did in Game 4, fall asleep at the wheel and mail it in, I think Golden State, you know, it'll be an exciting, intriguing five-game series. Six at the most. I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll give them six. I'll say Golden, I'll say Golden State will win it in six games. If they don't mail it in, there's no reason why they can't win in five. If they keep their heads on straight, don't mail it in, and play the way that they played against Denver in Denver last Sunday, where they just completely, just straight up, you know, turned turned the uh, you know had the on switch on and off, you know, trying uh, trying to keep pace with Denver while also not trying to steal the game from them to get a sweep. But I think I think uh I think the the Warriors experience and coaching will uh will be the difference maker in this series. They're more experienced. 
They're more they're more experienced, and they and when they're on their A game, they're as good as anybody in basketball. Memphis has got to play A plus basketball for four games to win this series. To get four wins, four games, four A games, A pluses, A plus games. Because I don't see Memphis, albeit they're a mentally tough team, they're a fun team to watch, an entertaining team to watch, and John Moran has has been all-world and been sensational this NBA season. You can't pull the crap you did against the Timberwolves and expect to get away with it with this team. Once, maybe. Two, three times, not going to happen. Not going to happen. So they got to be able to learn from those mistakes that they that they made, allowing themselves to get into double-digit holes on three separate occasions heading into the fourth quarter, and learn not to make those make those mistakes that caused those deficits against Golden State. Because if they make them, and they fall into those traps. And again, Golden State is on their A game, and they don't mail it in. They'll shoot Memphis right out of the building. In my honest, humble opinion. And then for the other series, Dallas and uh, Dallas and Phoenix, um, Dallas and Phoenix, that is going to be a very intriguing, interesting series. Uh, and I think that one has potential to be the longest one. I think that that could has the uh, makings of being a seven game series. Because uh, because Memphis, because it, Memphis did have to work to beat uh, Memphis did have to work not Memphis, uh, Phoenix did have to work to beat um, New Orleans in their series. You don't know how fully healthy uh, Devin Booker is, and uh, and the and the Dallas Mavericks did a nice job in their series against Utah, picking up the slack when Luca either wasn't playing. Or had its moments where he wasn't, where he did not play great, and uh, and and the, in the uh, during periods of times in games four, five, and six. So I think out of all this, out of the four uh, second round series, that one I think has potential to go to seven games. Memphis and I keep saying Memphis, Milwaukee, and uh, and the. Um, and the Celtics know because no Middleton, which kills the series. It'll be a good series, but it won't be as good as it possibly could be without Middleton. Uh, so that that kills the se- that kills that series. I don't think that'll be a seven. I don't think that'll be a seven gamer unless something unforeseen takes place. Uh, 76ers and Heat know because no Embiid. I don't trust James Harden. I, again, I, I've sung his praises about his performance in Game Six, but he's got a he's got to string together a couple of more performances like that and take more than 12, 14 jump shots in order for him to change my mind about him uh, in that facet. Uh, and what's the other series I'm forgetting? Uh, the other uh, Western Conference series. Uh, Golden State and Memphis, not necessarily because Memphis is all that bad and Golden State is all that better than Memphis, but the but the experience will matter. And again, unless anything else for seeing happens, I don't see that being a seven-game series. I can see it being six. I can see Memphis winning two games. Yeah, sure. Seven, not too sure about that. Take a break. We will get to the NFL draft. I didn't lead with it on purpose because I again, and I'll touch on this point with the draft and next. Time, 
I'd rather talk about the games, especially games of note that matter, that mean something, a la playoff games. That talk about, you know, that talk about an event, a convention where a bunch of people's names get called. I understand, you know, the blessing that the NFL draft has for the agents and for and, and the work that goes in for the scouts, the GMs, the coaches, the owners, this, that, and the other. It ha- after the after the first night, arguably you could you could argue night number two, but me personally, after round number one, it don't need to be on TV all hours of the day, all hours of the night. I'm sorry, but I'll dissect the draft in greater detail. This is the I'm Tell I Can Tell You this podcast. Welcome back to the Yamatecha TIS podcast. Switching gears now from the NBA playoffs to the other big time uh, sporting event that took place over the last couple of days, and that is uh, the NFL draft. Before I get to that, let me just give you this quick stat Anthony Edwards, 151 points in the Timberwolves Grizzlies series. Most by a, most points scored in a single series by a player at the age of 20 years of age or younger in the NBA playoff history. Want to give Anthony Edwards his flowers before we move on to some other things. Um. Uh, anyway, getting back on track uh, with the NFL draft, uh, the uh, I think I still I always will be in this camp, and I we talked about this with urinating tree. Uh, we talked about this with Urinating Tree when we had him on a couple days ago. If you haven't, last episode, if you haven't listened to that, do yourself a favor and listen to that if you haven't already. Um, but he, I've always been in this camp with the draft. You know, it. I think NBA playoffs, number one, NFL draft, two, and if the Orioles stink, and baseball slash baseball, number three. That is the pecking order because I will always be in this camp and I'll break down, you know, and react to A.J. Brown, Hollywood Brown, Lamar Jackson, and any other minute because uh, I got plenty to say about those things as well. Um, but it, it, I would rather watch playoff, a playoff game or playoff games, plural, or and or games of significance Especially if it's a sport that I like, I would rather watch that than watch three and a half, four hours of people walking to the stage, giving the name of a player who 60% of the time I've never heard of, seeing a walk to the walk to the stage, go through the maze from the green room to the freaking stage because they want to have the drafts all over the place now. Uh, watch them hug and kiss their family, their girlfriend, fiance, their mistress, every, you know, that take up five minutes. I, you know, I got to hear if I watch the ABC feed, I got to listen to their freaking their, their life story. 
I, if I, you know, if I watch ESPN NFL Network, I gotta, you know, watch the film and hear hear me get compared to guys and hear them wet, hear the analysts wax poetic about them. Not every draft pick is going, not every, especially in the first round. Not every first round draft pick is going to be a good first round. Is not is go, is going to be a, a a player worthy of getting picked in the first round. Not every player that gets picked in the first round is going to be a good slash great NFL player. But yeah, with the draft, oh, this is a good pick. You know, every every pick in the first round is the greatest is the, is the greatest selection in the history of NFL football, and, and and it's and it's just not true. I understand I'm not in it. I'm not understand when it comes to to evaluating prospects and, and and breaking down film and stuff like that in the combine. I'm an expert at that. I'm not. If I'd be full transparent with you, one of my corner, if you want to say a weak spot that I have with the NFL, it's the prospects coming in with the draft. It's a weak spot of mine. I do my best. I do my homework and I try to do the best I can, but I got other sports I got to watch. Other stuff within the world of sports got to keep my eye on for me to do this show so I can be a quote unquote, a well-rounded sports talk show host. And then, of course, get with stuff else with my life outside of this show, with jobs and school. So, you know, unless you're Mel Kiper, who you know, who you know, and he never gets these things right anyway. But uh, unless you're employed by PFF or ESPN or Fox or NFL Network, nobody nobody knows anything concrete about these players. Unless your job is literally to sit in front of a computer screen or TV screen and watch hours upon hours upon hours of coaches film on these players. That's it. But, you know, this, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, well, they won the draft, though. This is a steal of the draft, this, that, and the other. We don't know the, we will not know the answer to that question until we start playing the games. Okay, everybody and their mother was 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 dragging the Bengals through the proverbial mud. About a good percentage of the media out there dragging the Bengals for draft and chase. I wasn't in love with it either. But if you remember, what I said was is that I'm not in love with it. I wouldn't have done it me personally, but I will reserve my judgment and save any rage or anger that I have towards it until they start playing the games. And lo and behold, what does Jamar Chase do? He sets the NFL world on fire, wins Offensive Rookie of the Year, Bengals win the division, make the playoffs, win a playoff game or three, win the AFC Championship, and go to the Super Bowl. And if Burrow would have had, again, about a second and a half, two seconds longer worth of protection, he would have had Jamar Chase wide open down the right sideline for him to catch the ball and walk into the end zone. And the Bengals would have been would have been picking 32 in the draft of the first round instead of at 31. So that's why the mock drafts are stupid. They're a complete waste of time. No, again... Nobody knows where these guys are going for. So even the guys, even the guys that do this for a living, that work in the media on television, radio, internet, this, that, and the other, even they don't know. It's not a concrete science. They don't know. They don't know what what goes on in between the minds and the conversations that the scouts 
the, the, the GMs of these teams, the directors of player personnel, the head coaches, and in some instances, the owners of the team, they have no clue, no idea the conversations, the, 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 the coordinators and the position coaches, no idea. Sure, the experts may have a better idea and maybe a little bit more well-versed and more educated with the prospects and their information and their strengths and their weaknesses and this and the other. But nobody knows for sure. The mock drafts are a complete waste of time. At least when you're predicting games. You're predicting games. You're predicting free agencies and all that sort of stuff. You, you, you have a concrete idea. whether you, You're trying to predict the game. You go, okay, the Team A played like this last time out. This is how Team A has performed and, and this, that, and the other. They haven't, they've underperformed in this, in this facet. They've overperformed in this facet. They got weaknesses here, strengths there. Their best players X, Y, and Z. They're coaching, their coaches do X, Y, and Z right. They do uh, C, D, and F wrong. Team B, what they do right, the, their opponent does wrong, and vice versa. It's a, it's a little easier than draft prospects that are coming from all over the United States, from different universities and different college programs all over the country, getting selected, getting picked by, by NFL teams at random. You know, one of the Bengals' late draft picks came out of Coastal Carolina. Their first-round draft pick came out of Michigan. Both on the defensive side of the ball, I believe they both are secondary players, if I'm not mistaken. Let me double-check just to make sure that I'm accurate. But the point is, is that it's not like that they're getting drafted to the same team and their experiences in their respective universities are night and day. And I guarantee the way that they play, night and day. D lineman. But okay, so a better example. Tyson Anderson, six round draft back out of Toledo. Night and day coming to the same team that places that has the same defensive system. One from Michigan, one from Toledo. One who, if you're a diehard Michigan fan or a big or a big time Big Ten college football fan and saw Michigan State or excuse me Michigan play all year, you know and you heard of. Unless you're unless you love Toledo football, you have no clue who this guy who these guys are. And the thing with the draft is that unless you play for a certain select amount of schools and you see the certain select amount of schools on a weekly basis during the college football season, you have no clue who these guys are. Unless you're the aforementioned expert that watches, that does nothing but watch film on them after the Super Bowl, leading up into draft day. Or you're an NFL scout, GM, head coach, or owner. Nobody knows. The mock drafts are a complete waste of time. The biggest waste of time in all of sports media with the mock drafts. What's this guy's mock draft? What's this girl's mock draft? Mock draft, mock, no, mock draft. It's enough with the mock drafts. Nobody knows for sure where, where, all the, where these players are going. Except the people that are in charge amongst the 32 teams. Nobody knows. I don't know. You don't know. We all don't know. So why bother?
We don't know how, how each player fits a team scheme, what they want to accomplish on a defensive offensive side of the ball. We don't know. Again, I'd rather watch games than see a bunch of people's names get called. I understand the thing of the draft, the, the essence and the humanity of the draft is all of these grown men of college age that you know been dreaming about playing in in the NFL since they were in elementary school, knee at height, knee high to a duck, and the fact that you know after all the hard work and the sacrifices that they put that they've put in all throughout their early lives as 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 kids, as teenagers, and as as young college students, it all comes to fruition as they accomplish their dream of playing in the NFL. So I get that, and I like that about the draft. That I like and, and that I get and that I can appreciate. But the event and the TV production that it's become is one of the most overrated, unwatchable, overhyped things in sports. The draft does not need to be on for three days. Saturday, especially not. If you're still watching the draft on the final day on Saturday, read a book, get a life, find a girl, find a date, go on a walk, exercise, get some house chores done, or watch baseball, basketball, or hockey if those, of the, if those are your sporting uh, fortes. You got lucky this year because there was no hockey or basketball on. But you get the idea. Watch a movie, a TV show, get out, go to the mall, do something. If you're still watching the final day in the NFL draft, go find something to do. Please. Please. And the, and the final day of the draft is borderline unwatchable and a, and, and a complete waste of time to begin with anyway. If there's a select amount of, if there's a good portion of players, if you're not a diehard college football junkie or you don't watch the coaches' film, and you hardly know the players get selected in the first round, then you know good damn well you don't know a freaking soul that is getting drafted in rounds four, five, six, and seven. Not a soul. And I understand ESPN, you know, it's, and especially for people that at the NFL Network, it's their off-season Super Bowl, and it's the biggest NFL event since the Super Bowl where they can fly their media people out to the, uh, to the draft, to, to, to the city where the draft is being held and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, it, and, it, and it's the unofficial kickoff of the new, of the new NFL season. This, I get that and I understand that. But it's 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 a complete waste of time. It is as an as an event, as an event, as a TV production. It's a complete waste of time. Not the NFL draft itself, as far as the meat potatoes footbally. I know it's not a word, but it serves in this case. The purpose of it within the league and the sport is not a waste of time. The event, the big event, and the TV production that's become. Is such a big deal about these players that uh, 
you know, that that especially in, in, in day two and three, we couldn't pick out of a lineup unless we're a diehard fan of, 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 of the college team that they played for. Couldn't pick them out of a lineup. One norm if they if they fell through the ceiling and landed on our necks. One norm. We got all get hype and, and celebrate over players we 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 we've never heard of. Seriously. I mean they they pan the camera to every single fan base when the pick comes, especially in the, in the first round, and the and the fans go crazy. Unless it's a player, unless and this year's draft, there was no superstar players that took the league, that took the football world by storm, a la a Joe Burrow, a Trevor Lawrence, a Deshaun Jackson, a, 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 a Jamar Chase, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott. Back, there was no player of of that caliber that 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 was that was a that 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 made you do a double take. When you saw him play, that was a remote stopping player in college. There was no player in this year's draft. Devonta Smith, there was no player in this year's draft. And unless your team selected that remote stopping player, like a Jamar Chase, like a Devonta Smith, like a you know, like a uh, a Mayfield, a Jalen Hurts, at least. As what they were in college, the whole stick of, of the of the of the fan base is jumping up and down and losing their minds over a draft pick. Most and about sixty seventy five percent of them never don't even know who the hell the guy is. Is also I could also do without. You don't know who these guys are. NFL NFL Network to a certain degree too. NFL Network when the college when the college season is going on. Whatever live programming that live programming that they have on Saturdays during the football season, they're talking about NFL games and breaking down and studying tape and studying guys that are playing on a Sunday. If it's Saturday at one thirty-five in the afternoon, they're breaking down the Sunday night football matchup that is going to be played eighteen hours from then or thereabouts. So, you know, all of a sudden, you know, break down college. I'm like, hold on now. When these guys are playing games at college during the regular season, you guys, if you're working at all on television at all, are talking about the NFL games that are going to be played the following day. You know, I, 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 I can't take it. I can't take the sad stories from ABC. I can't take the awkward interviews, the kissing, hugging, the hugging the family members and the and the, and the, and, the, and the girlfriends ninety thousand times. Uh, I can't. I can't take the uh, you know the, the the douchebag that gets up in front of a microphone and you especially see this in days two and three. They get up in front of the microphone and feel the need to 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 give us the Gettysburg address and the and and the Dr. King I have a dream speech and I climb the mountaintop speech when their when their job is to simply get in front of a microphone and read the pick off the damn card. I I, I can't I can't take that. I can't take it. I can't. I can't tolerate it. I'm sorry. I can't. 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 I can't do it when there's actual live sports on for me to watch. I can't. 2020, different story. 2020 is is the lone outlier. 
in 2021 also to also to a certain degree because the Bengals had a high pick and it was a lot of you know controversy and uproar of 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 who the Bengals were going to select. I believe when they had, I think they had the fifth pick in 20 in the 2021 draft. Those two being the only outliers. And again, maybe it's different because the Bengals had a 31st pick and they didn't pick till about a little after 11:30 at night. Who knows? But I I couldn't get into it this year. There were there were moments and 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 segments where I was glued to the TV, but it but I, when eight o'clock came around, I was not I didn't make sure I was glued in to ESPN, NFL Network, ABC for the draft. I was more focused on uh, Pelicans and Suns and uh, and and praying that Toronto makes a comeback against Philadelphia. It's it, it gets it gets very boring, very dull, very repetitive, monotonous, and uh, yeah, that's where I want, I want monotonous, boring, lethargic, dull, repetitive, and monotonous. The NFL draft, especially about after the first hour of day two, day one, different story. Problem is with day one is that they is that they take nine million years to to get through to get through thirty two picks because we got to have the long and necessary commercial breaks. I got to hear the, the 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 soliloquies in between the picks. It, it, it gets tiresome. And for the first couple of picks, you know, we have the suspense of watching it on TV. But by the time, by the time my Bengals had the first round draft pick, I already knew. Well, I didn't know. I, I knew I was going to know via Twitter on my phone if I had not turn, if I had not put my phone on Do Not Disturb. If I hadn't put my phone on Do Not Disturb, I would have known who the Bengals were picking before Goodell got up to the microphone and said something. Which is also a problem in and of itself. But also have a hard time believing, you know, the NFL making out the big, make it seem like that the, that Vegas is one of the NFL's big meccas of, of the sport. You know, it's funny. The NFL wouldn't touch Vegas and wouldn't touch Los Angeles. They didn't. They didn't touch Vegas for the first a hundred and something years of the National Football League, and they didn't. And they went about a what over twenty years, twenty twenty five years without touching Los Angeles. And in the last, and and from and from the Super Bowl, and now here at the draft, you would have thought that the NFL had was had been had been doing business in L.A. and Vegas since the league's inception in nineteen twenty. The way that they go on and on and showcase Vegas and Los Angeles as if they're the "quote unquote" two meccas of the of the National Football League. Vegas, they didn't have a team there for the first hundred and one, hundred and two seasons of the of the league. And Los Angeles, there was a whole generation that went by with uh, with LA not having an NFL team. Los Angeles, not San Diego, St. Louis, Jacksonville, Los Angeles, went a whole generation. Now all of a sudden they get two teams at a nice new stadium and the NFL can't get enough of LA. I mean, really? I tell you, if, if, if whenever I go to Vegas, better be off the damn chain. Because to me, from and I understand I'm not 21, I don't drink, I don't gamble, I get that. 
But to me, from an outsider's perspective who's never been there, Vegas to me. Now, maybe if I, if and when I go there, it's a, it'll be a different experience, and my mind and my opinion of the city will change. But to me, Vegas looks like a wealthy, more glamorous, brighter version, literally, of Radiator Springs. People who have people pa- parents of young children and people of generation uh, uh, of generation Z get that reference. It is a gl- more glamorous version of Radiator Springs, as an from an outsider's perspective. Radi- Ve- Las Vegas is what Radiator Springs would look like. If 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 it had money, if it wasn't if it wasn't destitute and if it wasn't poor. But anyway, to the draft itself. From an from the outside looking in, the teams that I think did quote unquote well in the draft, the Jets did picking up. They had the Jets had an absolutely unbelievable first round. They drafted Garrett Wilson, a wide receiver out of Ohio State, with their uh, with their tenth pick. They drafted Sauce Gardner, the the famed talked about cornerback out of Cincinnati with their fourth pick, and they also drafted. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, their defensive end out of Florida State with the twenty sixth pick in the first round. So if you are going to see it, if you're going to look at a team that did well in the draft, the the, the Jets is certainly one of them. The Jets, on paper did a very, very, very excellent job in the draft. Still got to play the games. That's what the games are for. And it's on Zach Wilson to make that huge leap to prove to Salah and to prove to the Jets organization that he's going to be the guy. And if he does, and and if he is the guy, and the Jets don't get in their own way, they 6-11, a competitive 7-10. Maybe eight and nine, nine and eight, make the playoffs as a seven seed, which probably won't happen because of how competitive the AFC is. But you know, winning seven, eight games ain't out of the question for the Jets if everything breaks right for them and everything goes accordingly. And Wilson makes a tremendous jump. Uh, still got to play the games, but you know they were very competitive in 2021. We'll see what the rookies can have. Now. Giants also do had a very good draft. Kayon Thibodeau, the edge uh, rusher at, with, with their fifth pick out of Oregon. Evan Neal, the, tackle, the, the excellent tackle out of Alabama. And uh, is there another pick that they had in the first round, or is this the only two going up and down through the sheet uh, here? No, the, no yeah, that was, those were the only two ones. With those two picks, good job for the Giants as well. The Giants, I think, in my estimation, are a little bit ways away from competing and returning back to playoff football than the Jets are because the Jets, or excuse me, the Giants do not have their quarterback. They're still stuck with Danny Derps. So as long as Danny Derps is behind center, I don't care what Brian Dable does, the new head coach. As long as they got uh, Danny Jones behind center, uh, the, the Giants are only going to go. But so far, you're only as good as your starting quarterback. And uh, you know they could have the eighty-six. They could have the eighty-six Giants around them if Daniel Jones is the starting quarterback. 
I do not give the Giants a lot of uh, hope as far as winning football games because he because he does invent new ways. It seems like every season to lose games for the Giants. So they're on the right path, uh, and there wasn't a quarterback for them to reach on and draft in this year's draft. But I think the Giants are a little bit more of a ways away from winning than the New York Jets are. I think that I think the Gi- I think the Jets will have a winning season and will make the playoffs before the Giants are. The Giants will. Just my opinion, just my take, just my guess and estimation. Because the Jets have their quarterback. All it takes for the all it takes for the Jets is for their team to mesh, their team to gel, and for Zach Wilson to make that leap. Once that happens, the Jets are going to be all right. Giants still stuck with Daniel Jones and say and and, and uh, Saquon Barkley. They still got they still got a little bit of dead weight that they that they got to shave off before they can fully, you know, revamp their team into 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 moving forward. That's me. Trayvon Walker drafted uh, drafted out of Georgia. Uh, with the number one pick for Jacksonville, Georgia had a plethora of talent get drafted in this year's draft. One one of an all time, uh, an all time re- uh, an all time record for them. Uh, anything else I want to address right quick? The Packers address defense, which not necessarily is a, which is not a negative because their defense has slowly but surely made some strides over the last couple of years. My problem is is that their defense didn't allow an offensive touchdown against the 49ers, and they still lost the game. That's my problem. You know. All good with addressing defense, you know. I get it. Defense wins championships, and you want to make sure that you have a well-rounded football team. But the reason why you guys didn't win a playoff game this past season, and the reason why you guys didn't go to go back to the NFC Championship game and didn't win a Super Bowl, or let or let alone go to one, wasn't because of your defense. It's because your offense snuck up the joint. Scored one touchdown, and that was all she wrote. So, a little bit befuddling with the Packers' decision to not go, uh, not go uh, with at least one wide receiver with the two, with the two first-round draft picks that they had. They decided to go defense, drafting Devon, Devontae White and Quay Walker, uh, two players out of the uh, univers, out of the uh, National Champion University of uh of Georgia. The Ravens of course are their first round draft picks the rich get richer and I'll address the Hollywood Brown situation here. Why not? Um with they drafted Tyler Lindenbaum who I told you guys with uh, last in the program a couple days ago. That was a guy that Phil Sims uh said would be the best fit for the Cincinnati Bengals with their pick at 31. He did not fall that far. The Ravens scooped him up at 25. Ravens been an offensive line, which was uh which was a big issue for them uh, in 2021. That is a positive. What I do not get is what is the is the the Hollywood Brown trade doesn't bother me. It's who it's who they the pick it's the player that they utilized their pick for that they got from the from the Cardinals with the Hollywood Brown, with the Hollywood Brown trade and safety Kyle Hamilton. They have Marcus Williams who they signed a free agency. 
They got a decent unit at secondary. Pull out. They got a good unit at secondary. Went out and got uh, Marcus Williams in free agency, and they use an extra draft pick on uh, on on Kyle Hamilton. No, not him personally. I'm talking about how he fits and how he meshes with the Ravens system with, with him with him being a safety. When you're the Ravens, who also need added wide receiver depth because they're a Rashad Bateman injury season-ending injury away from essentially having their passing game consist of Mark Andrews, and that's it. I don't want everybody to be talking about Devin Duvernay. Devin Duvernay is a return specialist. He's not a number one bona fide wide receiver the way Rashad Bateman can be. So not adding wide receiver depth uh, is uh, is confusing. Uh, I th- you know there were talks or well, maybe they could and there was talks when they traded Hollywood Brown away that they they figure oh well they must be you know trying to get Debo to Baltimore didn't happen they need depth at wide receiver uh, they need depth at wide receiver for sure D- uh, line ba- uh, linebacker and corner help wouldn't hurt well not not necessarily go not corner but uh but linebacker and wide receiver depth would help. And they went with the safety when they had already gotten Marcus Williams in free agency. And I forget the other safety's name for Baltimore. It'll come to my head in a minute. Um, but the but you know they they went out and used their extra first round draft pick to a to address a position that wasn't uh, that wasn't in need. Which uh, which which uh, which which was confusing to me. As far as uh, as far as um, Hollywood Brown is concerned, uh, as far as the, the with uh, let me see with um, this uh, with their depth chart here, Chuck Clark, yeah, Chuck Clark, Marcus Williams, that was a guy I was forgetting with their three four defense. And they went out there and they got uh and they went out there and they drafted a safety. I mean, oddly peculiar uh for uh not peculiar. I mean he's a defensive Ravens player, so you know, he's gonna be good and he's gonna see the field. Uh they're not gonna waste, you know, uh the 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 first round draft pick, at least if he doesn't see a whole lot of action this season, definitely for years down the road, but I don't know. Ravens, I think, got more areas of need than than uh, than safety. That's that. That is that's just that's just me personally. That's just me talking. When it comes to Hollywood Brown, that is a trade that I get. The Cardinals got fleeced. Hollywood Brown, no way, shape, and no way, shape, or form is is worth a first round draft pick under any. I understand he had a thousand yard receiving this season, but still. He's inconsistent as hell, and when he has bad games, he looks like he's never played the wide receiver position before. He does not do well man-to-man coverage. Uh, you know, he coming off coming off of the the, the five-yard bump, he is very inconsistent. He's he's had many he had many a games last year in 2021, with the Dolphin game being the one that sticks out like a sore thumb to me, where he couldn't catch a where he couldn't catch a cold if he licked the bottom of a toilet seat. He was beyond beyond atrocious in the Dolphin game on that Thursday night when it was hot and humid down in Miami on Veterans Day. Was absolutely pathetic in that game. He's too up and down. He's too inconsistent. 
I'm sorry. And he's like 5'7", 5'8", uh, 175 pounds. That, if you're Devontae Smith, who's got a little bit of height on him, that's one thing. The, the, he, he's 5'7", 5'8", 175. Come on. And he doesn't have hands like Tyree Kill either, so don't even try to bring him up. Put uh, Hollywood Brown and Tyree Kill in the same sense. I ain't, I ain't going for that. Uh, but the Cardinals got fleece. Hollywood, I could care less about about the about the Hollywood Brown, Kyler Murray connection at at uh, at at, at, o- at uh, Oklahoma. I'm not interested. He's not worth the first round draft pick. I understand he's Kyler's that he was Kyler's college buddy, but he's not worth the first round draft pick. He's not. He's not. He's not. And, you know, uh, I'm not against Ravens getting ra- I'm against as a Bengals fan, I am. But from an objective perspective, just as a football fan, as a quote-unquote analyst, I don't have an issue with it whatsoever. I understand he's Lamar's boy. And Lamar's miffed that his boy is gone. I get that. But the... The system wasn't. He wasn't working with the with the Ravens system, and he's an and he's an inconsistent wide receiver. He is. When his, when when his contract's up, you want to you want to give him a, a a big fat juicy contract, not the way he's played. No, thank you. Again, I understand he had over a thousand yard receiver receiving season in twenty twenty one, but it was like it was a thousand yards. And he consistently put up big time numbers on a game in game out basis. He'd he he'd be he's he's hot and cold, one extreme or the other. Looks he looks like Jerry Rice one game or a bona fide scrub the next. I can't have that on my football team. I'm trying to win championships. I'm sorry. He was expens- he was expendable, so the Ravens got rid of him. Can't blame him. And then with the and then of course with the Philadelphia Eagles, then I'll address my Bengals and then get on to some other things. Uh, and kind of tie in the Titans with this point with the Eagles too. Eagles went out there with their draft picks and did a nice job. They traded for AJ Brown, uh, got Jordan Davis D tackle out of Georgia with the, with their uh, with their first with their first round pick at number thirteen. Uh, so give them tremendous. Uh, so give them credit as well. No, and and traded uh, and traded uh, for and traded for um, Titans wide receiver AJ Brown and locked him up for a big time uh, max contract. It's not. It's now or never for Justin for uh, Jalen Hurts. You got Goddard, you got Devonta Freeman, and oh by the way, here's AJ Brown. You guys had the number had one of the best rushing offenses in all of football last year. It is now or never for Jalen Hurts. I don't think he's the answer, but here's the opportunity for for him to prove the naysayers otherwise. Because you got all the offensive help you need, all of it. His job to go out there and execute it. But uh, but but the but the Eagles also had a nice had a quote unquote nice draft. If you want to uh, give them a draft board, they did a nice job as well in in the last few days. And tying in it with the Tennessee Titans, they're gonna rue the day that they that they gave Tannehill that money. You can't win with them. Vrabel, obviously, you saw his reaction wasn't pleased. AJ Brown was gone, and who can blame him? You know who you blame? Ryan Tannehill, who coughed up that game against Cincinnati. 
and essentially has been the catalyst of of the Tennessee Titans crashing back down to earth over the last few months. So you can thank him. As my Cincinnati Bengals, listen, they went majority defense in this draft. They uh, they took an offensive took an offensive lineman. The majority of the players that they had in this draft were defense. Took took a uh, t- took quite a few safeties or excuse me, quite a few defensive backs. The only offensive dr- the offensive player drafted was a uh, Cordell Volson. Offensive lineman took in the fourth round out of North Dakota State. Uh, Tyson J- Anderson, sixth round uh, defensive end out of Toledo. Uh, Jeffrey Hunter, defensive lineman, seventh round pick, Coastal Carolina. Couple of uh, defensive back draft picks in the earlier rounds as well. Bengals certainly uh, going on the certainly hammering the defensive side of the football. You know, I guess uh, I, I you know their offense what their defense wasn't. Great in the Super Bowl, you know. Odell Beckham Jr. was uh, was on his way to having a career day and possibly when Super Bowl MVP had not he gotten hurt, and Cooper Cup smoked him in the final uh, few minutes of the fourth quarter in the game and the Super Bowl. But I personally don't think the their the the their defense was the lone culprit of them losing Super Bowl. I think it was their offensive, their the Bengals offense stalling and offensive incompetence, but. They took care of the offensive line in free agency. They drafted a rookie, of course, out of North Dakota State to provide some depth. We'll see what what goes on for the Cincinnati Bengals in the 2022 season. We'll see. Uh, the, uh, the the defensive back that they got from uh, from Michigan is versatile. He can you know he can play he can play a nickel corner. Can play safety. They can move him all over the place wherever Lou Anarumo and the Bengals see fit. Um, you know, will they show him the ropes as far as playing safety and be Jesse Bates' potential replacement if they can't get a deal done after the 2022 season? Who knows? I can imagine that he will uh, pick up the slack tremendously in the secondary at the corner position because I swear to the holiest of deities, if I see Eli Apple on the field in a championship setting again, y'all going to have to pray for me because I'm going to be on the 11 o'clock news. But a good pick out of the University of uh, Michigan for Zach Taylor and company. Listen, you do not. We all sit up here and talk about who won the draft, who lost the draft, draft grades, this, that, and the other. The answer to that question doesn't get answered until January, at the earliest. Well, especially with a lot of these first round, at the earliest. The answers to these questions don't get answered until January at the earliest two, three, four, five years down the road. From January to their first, after their rookie contract is up, that's when those that's when the draft grades and who and how well did did X team do this? That's when those questions get answered. Not in the aftermath of the draft to find something to talk about. A lot of times the answers to those questions happen months, if not years, down the road. So keep that in mind as well. Take a break, get the get to three short things to close out the show, the Ampicella Catalia's podcast. 
Welcome back to the Amatelicatarius podcast. Just to get a couple of things off my chest before we say goodbye. Uh, first off, Kershaw should have never taken himself out of the game a couple weeks ago. Honestly, and it's old news and it's baseball. Who cares? Uh, but Kershaw should have never took himself out of the game uh, when he had a perfect game going in the late innings against uh, the Minnesota Twins. If you're going to go out there and pitch in early April, I don't want to hear any excuses that I haven't picked up a baseball since since January and blame the commissioner, blame the lockout, this, that, and the other. If uh, that screwed up to the point where you can't, you know, we where 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 it's that bothersome to you, and it's and it's going out of your way to that extent, don't don't pitch, don't pitch, shut you down. We'll you know make your season start in mid in mid May mid June, you know pitch two innings every start, and we'll see you raring to go in in late September early October. Come on, you're flirting with history. The poor saps that logged out the target field to freeze to freeze their ass off to watch you pitch. Go ahead and pitch, okay? There's only been about 22, 23 perfect games in a 150-plus year history of the sport. Stay out there, pitch, and 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 get and 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 don't screw and don't screw over and give the finger to history. That was a that was a that was a joke from Kershaw. A joke. Um. I got no issues with the Giants bunting. I understand that, you know, you got to feel that they could start a major fight, basically giving the old finger to the unwritten rules, which I'm in support of. Uh, you know, bunting up six, seven, eight runs in the sixth inning, I have no problem with. Uh, you know, it is what it is. You play until the 27th out. If you don't like it, tough. You know, still, if, still, if you want to steal a base up a huge margin, so be it. You know, as long as you still, there's no clock on baseball for a reason. No clock. You got to get all 27 outs. Don't like it? Try to stop me and get me out then. Uh, I got no issues, no issues with the Giants whatsoever. One shot, we know, if some team gets bent the wrong way somewhere down the line later in the season and a huge fight breaks out, one shot, me there. Yankee fans cutting the fool against the Guardians at the Bronx last Sunday. Typical Yankee fans at not knowing how to act. Yankees got money. They got cameras all over the place. So at least one would imagine. Find the idiots that were throwing crap, calling names, threatening the players, kick their asses out for life. If they got season tickets, resent, uh, take away their season tickets and ban them from the stadium for life. And uh, and they can't come to another Yankee game for the rest of the, for the rest of the regular season and for the rest of their lives as others to it. And like and lastly, my Baltimore Orioles, they're pitching for. Uh, they're pitching somewhat has come back down to earth and they can't hit again after taking two of three from the angels. Uh, they, they can, they cannot. And, uh, and scoring eight, somehow some way scoring eight runs against the Yankees on uh Tuesday night. They have not been able to hit their way out of paper bag for the most part. Got swept by the Yankees, kicked the ball all over the place on Thursday afternoon. Absolutely disgraceful. Look like a freaking little league team out there on Thursday afternoon in the Bronx. Um, I'm sick of seeing Chris Owens, uh, Rugnet Odor in Oriole uniform. It's about time the Orioles say goodnight to both of them. Uh, sooner rather than later would be nice. Uh, dropped their home opener to the Red Sox because they couldn't because they couldn't hit. They could barely hit against the Red Sox on Saturday night, but thanks to a uh, but thanks to a, uh, a throwing error by Red Sox reliever Samora uh, trying to get trying to. Um, 
trying to get the runner, uh, trying to get the automatic runner from second, heading his way to third, uh, in the bottom of the uh, in the bottom of the tenth inning, throw sails high into left field. Orioles walk it off on a Robinson Chirino sacrifice bunt and on a sacrifice bunt and they and an E one. The Orioles end their four game. Uh, is that, do I have that right? The three against the Yankees. The it's not four game. Five game losing streak. They had not. They had not won a game in literally a week last Saturday against the Angels in Anaheim. They had not won. A, they had not won a game in a week. They end their week long five game. Uh, losing streak improved to seven fourteen on the on the uh, season and their five game uh and and end their five game losing streak. Uh, you know, with the Orioles, you know, you take the wins when you get them. Other than that, you just uh, scream in pain and pray that things get better before they get worse. I mean, because the more things change, the more the the more things uh, change, the more the more the more things change, the more things stay the same. With my Baltimore Orioles, that's all that's all there is to it. But if you like what you heard and you're new to the program. Uh, please do not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. Follow the show on. There you go. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast. The show on Twitter at Amatella underscore is. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. It is your boy Jai Shields. I will talk to you next week. Y'all stay safe. Y'all stay care. Enjoy the NBA playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs, everybody. Why not Kings and Lightning with the Kings winning at all? Why not? Talk to you next week. <laughs>